Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 99 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you all know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference. The conference this year is coming up on June 7th and 8th. So uh, literally, as you're listening to this, uh, I think this podcast will go out the week before uh, the conference starts. So uh, we're getting down to the wire here. If you can join us uh, this year, we'd love to see you. It's Crisis Conference com for more details and uh, i'm joined today by uh, kelly mckinney hello kenny welcome rob thank you very much great to be here thank you and uh, as the former deputy commissioner uh, of the new york city office of emergency management and uh, chief disaster officer for the american red cross uh, kelly has been uh, a busy uh, busy man over the uh, many years that he's been in the in the business um he's currently the assistant vice president of, of emergency management and enterprise resilience at nyu langone health in new york city and i know over the last uh, couple of uh, weeks we've been trying to schedule this and he's had to dash off and, and do the things that he does best so uh, we're pleased to have him today uh, welcome kelly yeah, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, uh, congratulations on on uh, episode 99. You're very close to the uh, <laughs> to the centennial episode, and uh, very, just always admired the work that you do, Robin. So thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks. And just before we jump into uh, the interview here, uh, could you let the audience know a little bit more about your career so far, please? Well, so I'm. An, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and I did a lot of engineering uh, consulting work, mostly in hazardous materials, hazardous waste early in my career, ended up in New York and uh, was the associate commissioner for environmental health at the New York City Health Department in 2001. And when I was on my way to the office on a beautiful crystal clear blue Tuesday morning in September of 2001. And I stepped out of the train station at Chambers and Church Streets in Lower Manhattan and mm -hmm. the, um, looked up at the towers, the World Trade Center Tower. Tower one, the North Tower had just been struck. And uh, so there was an enormous black gash across the 90th floor of, of the north face of that tower. and. I've been an emergency management uh, and, and crisis manager from that moment on. That, that, that moment really was the, the dividing point in my career from uh, um, the, the, and the dividing point in my life, essentially. And I've been, a, I've been in the disaster business in New York City ever since. Well, that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, very, uh, very kind of you, because that, that, that day, of course, impacted so many. Uh, of course, New Yorkers uh, were, were at the center of that. So appreciate you sharing that story um, at the beginning here. And, it, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, I learned so much on that day. And, um, you know, it really was a a different world. I, I felt like I had been cast into a different world. And so many of the lessons that I learned from that day I've carried forward and every 
crisis I've been in, every disaster I've been in since that day over the past 20 plus years have uh, evolved into a uh, really a worldview, like a mindset, a crisis management mindset. And that's what I try to bring to every uh, issue that that we confront in uh, here in here in my in my work at NYU and in in my uh, in my teachings. I also am an instructor at, at at NYU itself as well in crisis management and business continuity. So teaching, I found teaching to be interesting because it it forces you to collect your thoughts and convey them in a clear way so that yeah. you know though that audience can can understand. It's, a, it's pretty interesting, the business we're in, when we talk about it, oftentimes people who aren't in the business, if they listen, they, it sounds boring to them. They're, right. they're like, wait a second, you know, it, it, you know you, you're a crisis manager and yet what you're saying just sounds excruciatingly boring, but it's not a boring business. I just think some of the time, some of the times we talk about it, we don't convey it in a way that connects with people. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, we, we, you know, part of our business is uh, simulation exercises, as, as you're, you're familiar with, um, with that world. And uh, um, it, it's, you know, part of the challenge, to, you know, when we speak to, you know, those clients or potential clients that have never been through a tabletop exercise before, never experienced that or, or, a you know, near crisis or emergency for real, it's, uh, you know, it's difficult to express that until you've actually been through it, either in a, you know, for a real event or, or a simulated exercise that's been well designed, right. And so, um, and so it, it can be, you know, because we, we're in the weeds, right, in the details, and the details can sound boring sometimes. So I agree with you. Well, you know, it's interesting, Rob, and I, one of the reasons I, I have followed you for so long is because you and I are very similar in our view about the importance of exercises and simulations. And it's really for that reason that you just uh, said, which is that people who have not been in the midst of crisis, and to, and to tell you the truth, those people are now much fewer and farther between than they were two years ago, because yeah. everyone has come through a crisis now. But but you cannot express and explain to people the, the feeling of being in the midst of a major crisis. It's something that has to be experienced. And so those exercises are, the, are really the only way to, to truly convey to people and the only way to gain insight and, and, and create learning. They're super important. And you, you've known that for a long time. And, and I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm in this business a long time as well and always looking for you know, compatriots that, that have this same worldview. And they're pretty few and far between. People talk a lot about exercises, but they're pretty thin on the ground. Yeah, they happen, yeah, yeah. but they don't happen enough. And I, I think it's because they're expensive. They're, I think people overthink them. They yes. overplan them. Yep. And, uh, and they don't execute them well. And if you don't execute an exercise well, there's no way there's, it's the worst way to spend your time is in a poorly executed exercise. You walk away scratching your head thinking, you know, you're never going to get that two hours of your life back. It's, right. it's horrific. 
yeah 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 no i i conquer and um and there's as we we you know we have a course on this uh you know i teach this on a regular basis um to to those folks who really want to understand you know how, how to spend that time wisely and uh, uh you know you, you want to make sure you're walking out of the end of the exercise with everyone um you know who, that being have having been fully engaged uh walking away with saying we want to do more and that's typically our our, our goal internally is to do that of course from a business standpoint we want to make sure that, that happens but really uh, you know they need to walk away having had an experience you know so we we bring that alive with the story you know, i always talk about story storytelling but uh, anyway let's let's get into those it are I, both, I, think... I, I rob i hate to interrupt you but i think those two points are so it's super important one is as you said you walk away thinking that that was a valuable use of my time i want to do that again i felt like i learned something i thought that was valuable that's number one and number two you get there by telling a story and yes. getting into the details and people feel like uh, that was a real, it was a realistic scenario. It's a challenging scenario, but it's a story as well. And that's the key to it. Telling a story. Everybody loves a story. So Everyone. You tell a good story. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of times professionals like ourselves, especially the, you know, the old, uh, uh, the old hands, uh, they think that there's something, um, you know, artificial and, uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, something they don't like to, to get into the details of a scenario because they think it's somehow, you know, um, I don't know if it's beneath them or what it is, but, but, you know, that, that if you immerse yourself in it and you really spend time to create that rich detailed scenario, it pays off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It sure, it sure does. So uh, talking about storytelling then, um, how, how about you let us know about uh, the most challenging role so far um, in terms of your career and why? And uh, I, I know you mentioned getting off the um, uh, the subway there, um, you know, all those years ago, but um, I'm sure there have been others as well. So I, I was at the New York City Health Department. Then I transitioned uh, to uh, a role at the New York City Office of Emergency Management. I was there for almost eight years where I was the deputy commissioner uh, for planning, essentially. Yeah. And the um, that role was extraordinarily challenging and, and, uh, and, and, and in a very uh, positive way because you, you're, you're really working every day, day in and day out, to prepare the city government to be able to be nimble and respond to whatever it might face. And uh, there was so many, it, it, it really is about establishing connections, hardwiring connections to across the government and beyond. And so many great people that you connect with and you build that big team as, as big as you can build it, do a lot of exercises. And, and, and then you, obviously you have those, those incidents and we had them, one after the other after the other from from um, blizzards to heat waves to uh, we had a we had a period a couple of years in the city where tower cranes were falling um, right. at, at construction sites all over the east side of Manhattan. Uh, we had a power blackout in Long Island City that lasted for 10 days. And then and then we had Hurricane Sandy, which was uh, one of the most challenging roles for me because we you know, we have a duty team there. There's a thing called a duty team where you're the duty officer and you you run that team that activates the emergency operations center and leads the response and I was the that my duty team was was on for Sandy so yeah. I was in that role for 
for um, almost 10 months. And it was extremely, extremely challenging. And then le leaving there and going to the American Red Cross, uh, that, that uh, believe it or not, became even more challenging. It was, it was 24 seven uh, across in, in this entire region, not just New York City, but the, the two boroughs, in, uh, the two counties on Long Island and five counties in the lower Hudson. And so it was, it was, it was nonstop. And so I, I, I sort of said, well, let me slow down. I'll come and, and, and uh, work for this, this medical center. And then we, you know, had a global pandemic. So it didn't really give me much of a chance to slow down. So that role over the past two years has been a, a, a very, very challenging, but, but rewarding at the same time. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to jump forward here and talk about uh, the importance of relationships between uh, private and public sectors. Um, I, I, you know, we, we have our listeners on here who, you know, many are from the emergency management world, you know, they, they work in the, um, you know, in fire departments that, you know, they come from emergency management backgrounds, you know, first responders, those, those types of folks uh, who uh, we have a good, good group of listeners and, and, and they really understand and, and get and get that partnership and the importance of it but uh you know we, we have some some of the you know we, we come in often and, and talk to our corporate clients about the importance of bringing those partners in and fostering those relationships and uh, um yeah i'd love to hear from you from a you know from a new york from a city like new york city um you know from that perspective and the importance of uh, you know those two groups and those two relationships and how important that is it's it's a, a really great question because it's hard to overstate the importance of the private sector in New York City. It is a city that is built on commerce. It's a, it's a world center of finance and telecommunications and, and entertainment and so many things, fashion and so many things. So the, the private sector is, has an enormous presence here. And uh, there, in my experience, the, uh, there is a, um, there is a, uh, lack of understanding between the public sector and the private sector. There's a lack of trust. They're, they're very different silos and they, uh, they don't understand each other and they don't typically work well together. The, uh, and so it is, it is such an important task to make those connections and communicate across. And lots of emergency management, public sector emergency management agencies have private sector liaisons and they have a private sector ESF in their, in their EOC and, and, and so on. But it really is about building those connections bigger and wider. And uh, I'm, a, I'm on the board of a, of a 501c called the All Hazards Consortium. There's uh, many, many of the listeners will know Tom Moran uh, and John Molnar, and they've been around a long time in the DC area. And the, the goal of the All Hazards Consortium is really to build those public-private partnerships mm. to the benefit of, uh, of the public, essentially. And so an example of what they've done is building a, a, a very strong connection to the power sector and, and to the states, because the states are the primary entity in emergency management. You know, that right. governor is really yes. owns it more than than anyone else and so if you can if but but every state is in in effect a different working environment it's almost a different kingdom if you will depending on who the governor is and so if you're a company and you work across states you have to change 
your stripes everywhere you go because there are different rules and regulations and, and different ways of working. And so, so when, and, and the power sector has, is probably has it um, better than anyone in terms of how they, how they uh, help each other and provide mutual aid during disasters. You know, the way that those power crews move across the nation in support of areas devastated by hurricanes, for instance. And so, and so we've worked with them about how to make those crossings easier if, there's, if there are issues in the middle of a hurricane or in the middle of a, of a, of a, a disaster. So, so that, in other words, there are, for instance, there are different laws that prevent uh, that, those travels or, or prevent those crews from working effectively. Yeah. Those problems can get resolved in real time. So, you know, it, it, we saw in, in, in the COVID crisis and even now today, how important the private sector is to the, to the well-being of society and, and emergency managers can't ignore that. That, right. that. If you can leverage the public sector in a, in a crisis, you can be successful. If you can't, you know, you're going to be relying on yourself and that, that, that can be really, um, you know, that can be very challenging. Yeah, and I, we we see lots of good examples, you know, in, in the last couple of years as well with, with corporations, you know, really taking advantage of that as well and, and getting their name out to be that, you know, that good neighbor, right? So, uh, you know, help helping out where they can in during, in during time of uh, time of need. And so, you know, you, you really, you know, I look at it as, you know, if, if I needed um, the first responders to show up at my location for whatever, whatever it might be. And of course, we've had some terrible situations in the last few weeks here with, um, you know, mass shootings and, and uh, yeah. I, I just, you know, you know, I, I worked with uh, my son's school many years ago here in uh, in Newport, and um, you know, we, you know, I advocated that they bring, uh, you know, the fight, uh, the, the SWAT team in um, to to have a walk around the school, and uh, and they started to do that on a regular basis and start yeah. to develop a, a plan for, you know, just for interacting and and you know, getting used to the environment and and just building that relationship face to face, and it's about trust, right? So if if Absolutely. you if you want, um, you know, those emergency responders to come into your facility or warehouse um your your office building whatever it might be um you know for you to then pass on information to them that might be relevant to what the situation is you know they want to believe believe you and if you've built that trust ahead of time and you have that relationship and the the old classic that we've uh, we've seen um a lot um within the energy space especially and uh even in um you know the the chemical space we have a couple of clients and uh you know it's it's the classic fire and when i come onto site i need to know what hazardous materials you have on site and what quantities right and if i if i if i if i've not met you before and i'm showing up do, do i trust you uh, as the as the chief or, or you know whoever it is that's responding from the from the community and um and quite often the answer would be no so uh, take the time to to develop those relationships is always uh, something we advocate it's it pays benefits it's it's enormously uh, valuable and multiplicative in its benefits by having those conversations. It, it, it's, it can't, it's hard to overstate how important that is. And, but it's, but you mentioned the, the, the issue of the squat, the, the SWAT team going into the elementary school. And I think that's a, an important, uh, you know, activity to, to, uh, to try to make happen. And, but if you talk to people, if you walked into an elementary school, actually today, if you did it, there would be a recognition. But maybe a couple of years ago, you walked into elementary school and you say, I think we should have, you know, the police first response team come and walk through. 
they would, you know, they would, they would resist. They would look at you like, what are you talking about? Are you trying to make trouble? And, and the answer is no, put yourself into a crisis, you know, imagine the worst case scenario because the worst case scenario can happen to you. Put yourself into that crisis and understand what that looks like. Who's in front of you? Who's here? Who's working now in this building that does it, that doesn't typically work in that building. Those are the people you need to talk to. Those are the people you need to reach out to now, get them here and walk them through. And as you said, on the day of, it's going to pay enormous benefits. And, you know, God forbid you ever have to encounter that situation where you need a SWAT team in your building. That that's obviously something you don't you, you could never, never wish for. But but the preparation is important. And but, you know, this is the challenge that we have as as emergency managers, that people have this brick wall in their minds, this brick wall of hope that really prevents them from doing these yeah. very simple things that could improve those outcomes in a, in a crisis. It's just the nature of human beings. You can't blame them, right? No. They have, they have no. other things that they want to do. They don't want to, on a nice, on, on a beautiful Thursday before a holiday weekend, they're not going to be thinking about a, a mass shooter coming into their building. That's, that's just, you know, that's just, just a, a, a negative thing that nobody wants to think about. But you know, for us as emergency managers, it's our job to think about it. And so there's no excuse for us not putting ourselves in there and in those situations and, and asking what is, yeah, what yeah. if. For, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I, let's talk about your current role. Um, I, I noticed in the, you know, the, the research I did in the build up to the interview here that, um, you know, at NYU there, you've got 600 plus locations, I believe, at um, Langone Health. And uh, I'm sure that's, you know, a tremendous challenge uh, on a number of fronts. So, uh, you know, what are you doing there in terms of, you know, that large network and, and trying to make it more resilient? That's really the challenge that we have. And it, like so many other colleagues and the folks that are listening now, we, we have this this far flung enterprise with, as you said, 600 plus locations. And so we use technology. That's a big part of it. We have a our system. We we have a VOC based response system. And when there is an incident and there are incidents uh, all day long, we, we have a watch center. We we have our telecommunications operators, you know, our hospital operators and there are call centers. And in those centers, we've we've plus them up, and we've got uh, emergency operators that have 911 experience and and watch center experience, and we've got lots of tools to watch. And so, when there is an incident, you know, we run at that incident. We try to figure out as much as we can about it and whether it could potentially disrupt our our operations. And we map it. We have a mapping software, and we have all of our we have all of our facilities in a database that that's on those maps so we can see what's proximate to that. And, you know, the, the business continuity side is important. And that, that is a, it's a simple concept. And it's really that those business unit owners are accountable and responsible to execute some basic crisis management steps, just like we do. So rather than sitting back and saying, oh, I've got this disruption i've got this crisis somebody come and save me they've got some basic tools to to activate their own teams and to execute their own crisis Good. operations that's and good. that yeah. that's the essence of resilience is that you push that accountability down that everybody's not just looking at your department your small department you know we have 50,000 people and i've got you know i've got a, a dozen which is a big team 
but you know we can't be everywhere all at once so it's about it's about making sure that business unit owners understand their accountability and giving them some tools to to execute and then going back again to this 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 underlying theme of this conversation which is then practicing show them get them into drills get them into simulations get the, give them a feel for what that feels like so yeah. when it happens they're they're a lot more comfortable yep yep yeah that's great and, and that leads you know leads me into kind of the, the wrap-up question here in, in terms of your perspective of course you know i i we i, I kind of i know the answer already in terms of how important they are to you but uh in terms of exercising you know what, what's your you know what's your continued view on uh, on, on conducting exercises and uh and making sure they're good exercises so there there's a uh sort of a common lament if you will in our business some all of our colleagues and it is that you know we don't connect effectively to the executive you know we we are kept in the dark we don't get a lot of you know respect if you will and um and exercises are in my experience the best tool for you to connect to the executives and connect to the different parts of the organization. You, you can start with exercises, right? You don't start and say, let's have 10 meetings where we where we envision these, these scenarios and we do BIAs and we write endless pages of, of protocols about what we're going to do. No, you start with the exercise and right. the exercise leads into insight about, okay, where where are those gaps? Let's go fill a couple of gaps. You know, the, the, the truth is that nobody has any time for you in your organization. So everybody should walk around with that in their head. You're, in your, the organization that you work for and with, nobody in that organization has any time for what you need them to do. Right. So <laughs> you're going to layer it on top of what they're doing. It has to be value added. It has to be lightweight. And an exercise can point you in the right direction about how can I do the best, the most good with the least amount of time taken by my stakeholders? And so you use it, use it. But, but it's, if you're not exercising on a regular basis, if you're not spending, a, a, in, I would say, the bulk of your time exercising and then following up on what you learn, right. you're, you, you got you to evaluate you know, whether your program is really creating any value. Yeah. yeah, we call those lessons to be learned because you might identify them in the exercise, but have you really learned them until you've actually made the changes and actually validated that those changes work right? So it's almost, exactly. you know, of course, you know, you need to go through that cycle. So, yeah. um, well, and I, I really like the piece at the beginning there that you mentioned. You know, just just run them, just start doing exercises, and, and don't wait for that that perfect plan, so to speak, and those policies and procedures. You know, we we often, I remember many years ago, we had um, a large um, oil and gas. Uh, company uh, came to us well the plan's not quite right and I said that the crisis might hit tomorrow and you'll find out if the plan is right or not so why don't you do an exercise now and you can tweak the plan you know based on the exercises and roles and responsibilities and everything else and uh, so anyway we did it and um, you know there was, there was great value because they said that could have been another six months based on uh, bureaucracy internally on the plan and I think uh, you know I, I'm I think COVID has taught us to you know just get on with it and, and figure things out as we go um, which is obviously you know 
helped you know helped some uh, some organizations in terms of uh, in terms of their preparedness because they realize that things can come out of left field and um, when was the last time any organization uh, uh, ran a pandemic exercise um, that um, you know on the scale of, of what we've just seen and uh, you know I only ever did one or two prior to that um, with, with organizations actually one was with actually that oil and gas company that I mentioned there and um, and they went through all everything that uh, you know we spoke about uh, you know during uh, COVID, uh, we, we went through from a planning standpoint, but that was some, you know, five or six years before the pandemic. So, um, so yeah, uh, and they're, they're fun and make them fun, right? <laughs> I mean, you got to have some fun with it as well, because you got to go away with that experience. Exactly. Yeah, make them fun, make them interesting. And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's so many, uh, you, you, you know, think about the movies you go to, there's the, the technology is there, the ability to make them visually exciting is there. And we, we, we really need as, as a, as a, business as an industry uh, we as emergency managers need to make those simulations much feel much more real and it you know it 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 should feel almost like going to you know the movies and and right. uh, it, i know we, we we don't have the budget for that right i mean right. Yeah. i don't know uh, top gun no. maverick what was the budget for that you know 400 million or something yeah. so probably we're not going to spend that much on an exercise but but you know you can you can put some resources in and make it because the, the problem is your your stakeholders have, you know, they go to these movies and they have that as sort of a baseline. And then when they get into your crude version of that, you know, it, 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 it kind of falls short. So yep. so that's the challenge we have. But we can we can meet that challenge. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You get creative internally as well. So uh, exactly. you know, lots of knowledge internally and, and try and lean upon that. So uh, listen, we, I could talk all day about this and I know you could as well, Kelly, and, and I know your phone's been been blowing up there. So uh, yeah. you're on the front line. So I'm, I'm going to let you go. But uh, listen, great episode today. I really appreciate your time. Any final comments for our listeners? And uh, if they want to contact you, how can they uh, get a hold of you? Uh, you, you can go to my, you can, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn and we can start there and we can, you know, trade, uh, trade emails and that sort of thing. And, uh, no, I, as I said, Rob, I've been a big fan for a long time and, uh, just, uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk and, uh, look forward to future conversations. Great. Thanks. And we'll add your LinkedIn, uh, link, uh, in the profile notes, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the show notes at the bottom. So, uh, everyone can uh, contact you if they show, if they uh, wish to. Well, thanks again for your time today, Kelly. Um, I, I hope you have a nice um, afternoon and, um, you know, good luck on the front line there and let's uh, stay in touch. Thank you, Rob. Take care. 